Well, good morning again, everybody, and, and we're so glad to, to be able to be together uh, with you all. And so uh, what I want to do, um, we're going to start right off the bat, uh, and this could be a show of hands, and if you don't feel comfortable uh, raising your hand, that's okay, too. Um, those of you who are watching online, you could see a show of hands, and that wouldn't, you know, that'd be great. Um, have you ever done something to help someone and felt completely unappreciated by it? Has this ever happened to anyone? Am I, wait, am I raising my hand just to give an example for what for you to do or because it's true for me? You can figure that out on your own. No. Um, I you know, recently, uh, I, re I recognize that, um, you know, when, when pastors get into certain, like, life seasons, a lot of the illustrations come from the same thing, right? So, like, when it's marriage, talk about marriage, and when you have kids, you have kids. Well, we are in, like, dog phase, um, right? And so uh, a lot of my illustrations will just be some sort of connection to a dog. But as of right now, I, I, you're, you're trying to help, you know, so we're trying to help our dog, Ember, and, and it's like you try to feed him, and um, anytime you try to feed him or play with him or spend time with him, he seems to have, um, I would almost dare to say a magnetic uh, connection between his teeth and my hands. Like it's almost, uh, it's, it's very palpable. So he just always wants to bite, always wants to nip. He's a puppy, like he's not learning. But it's one of those things where you kind of get this mindset where you're like, dude, I'm just trying to help you. And I've probably said that exact phrase several times to him. He doesn't understand. He's like, yeah, but your hands are delicious. And so it's just this idea of like you're trying to help and, and you want to do something and someone just, you know, all I want is like a solid like a thank you from my dog. I just want him to acknowledge me and I want him to do that. Now, maybe it's like if you have, uh, if you have kids and it's like you're, you're exhausted and you're trying to change diapers and trying to feed and trying to figure out life. And it's just one of those where like all I want is like a solid night's sleep as a gratitude response. Like, that's it. I'm not asking for a lot, right? Maybe it's for those of you who are uh, in school and you are helping somebody, um, you know, either tutoring or you're just doing uh, work and working together and, and working hard. And it's like, all I want is a thank you and all I get is in, uh, well, this is what you should do or, or whatever it is. And for those of us when we're trying to help people and we feel unappreciated about how do we often respond? You know, often we want to get upset. We want to be angry. We want to say, hey, listen, this is not okay because I'm just trying to help you and I want to feel good about myself helping you so you better respond by the way that I need you to respond. And we don't say it this way, but our hearts can become embittered if we're trying to help or we're trying to do things and the response is not what we're hoping for, which then begs the question, which isn't necessarily connected to the sermon, but it begs the question, are we helping others to help others? Are we helping others to help ourselves feel good about ourselves? You know, what, what is the motivation? What is the, what is the desire behind wanting to help other people? Now, I mention this because today we're going to uh, talk about a passage in Scripture uh, in our Easter egg series. This is week two. Um, and in Easter eggs, we're looking at traces of Jesus across time, specifically looking at different passages in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, that on their own have value, but, but we start to see how they are foreshadowing or signaling or pointing to something in the New Testament that Jesus and Jesus alone can fulfill. Last week, we talked about Jesus as the life giver and how he was like the, the first Adam was Adam and the first man was Adam in Genesis 3. And through his life, we all experience death because of the sin and the fallen nature. And that would be through his life, we experience death. But then we see through the second man or the last Adam, if you will, from Romans 5, which is Jesus. And through his death, we experience life. And so Adam, 
foreshadowed or was an Easter egg or pointed to something Jesus would fulfill. And today, we're going to spend some time looking at Isaiah 53, uh, specifically Isaiah 52, 13 through 53. And we're going to unpack some of these verses a little bit and say, how does Jesus fulfill this section in the Old Testament that, that paints this beautiful picture of a righteous servant, someone who helps so many people, and how did they respond to his help? How did they respond to his service? And then how does he respond to their response? It's a lot of responsibility. I don't know. But what I want to unpack today is this recognition that if we don't respond well, then how can we become more like Christ who does in difficulty? So today I'm going to be sitting down. Every once in a while we have sermons where I just need to get through some information, some background work to hopefully flesh out some important points that we can take home with us this morning. And so we're going to talk about how does Judaism look at this passage? How did the early church look at this passage? And then how do we live based off of this passage? So with that outline generally in mind, I'm going to ask that you join me in a word of prayer as we dive into God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here with us again, wherever here is. We thank you for the the capabilities technology-wise to be able to have service outdoors in our parking lot and to have people uh, be able to watch it across the city or across the state. Lord, we're grateful that we can be present here outdoors and hear birds singing and just to be able to, to be in your nature, Lord. And so, God, we um, pray now that you would speak to us. May I decrease, may you increase, may you speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every person who hears my voice this morning. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I alluded, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 52, starting in verse 13. Uh, for those of you who brought your own Bibles, you can pull it up there. Uh, for those of you who have uh, your phone, if you have the Bible app, you can pull it up there. Real quick, uh, how many of you have the Bible app? How many of you guys have that on your phone? Can you just give me like a, a raise of hands or a show of hands just so I can see? Awesome. I see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the car. I see you. Um, so, uh, that, that wasn't like a test. You didn't have to study for that. I'm just curious. Um, so we're going to be in Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. And I don't typically like to do this because sometimes if you read a lot of scripture at once, it's easy to kind of get lost in some of the details or you have a question about something seven verses ago and the pastor just skips it. But every once in a while, it, it behooves us, it benefits us to be able to read an entire section of scripture to let the words soak in to let scripture speak on its own behalf in this regard, to paint the picture of who this servant is that God tells the Israelites about from in Isaiah 52. And so I'm going to read the whole section. You could follow along in your Bible, uh, on your phone, if you have your uh, Bible in person. Um, or if you don't have a Bible and you just want to listen to the words I'm saying, I, I want us to pay attention to the emotions we feel when we read about this righteous servant. How do we just viscerally respond when we hear about him? Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before them like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. And cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Recognizing all that this righteous servant, this suffering servant did for the people, how do we respond? How, what, what are our emotions when we hear that? Is it something where we are angry that he received so much affliction on behalf of something he didn't do? Are we saddened to know that he was despised and ignored. Are we confused as to why someone would experience this and why they would go through this um, for, for other people who don't even care what, they're, what this person's doing to help out? It's, I'm trying to help you, dude. And all he gets is bites on the hand and affliction. What, what, what do, how do we respond to this? And so in order to unpack it, I, like I said, I want to answer three different questions. The first is, how would Judaism, how would the Jewish understanding be, what would the Jewish understanding be of this passage? Because this passage was written before Jesus was born, right? This passage was written um, hundreds of years before, and it was written to a people that didn't know when the Messiah would come, when Jesus as the chosen one would come. So there has to be meaning and value in and of itself and it's a beautiful, beautiful passage, even before we see how Jesus fulfills it. But how does Judaism interpret or understand this passage? And, and there's a few different ways I want to uh, unpack this. And th there's four ways, but I'm going to describe it two different ways. One is as that this refers to a people, both past and future, or it can refer to a person, past and future. Let's unpack that. So... This idea of, um, for Judaism, they would see all of this description of the righteous servant, that there are what's called four servant passages in Isaiah. This is the fourth, the final one of the other four. And so in the other three servant passages, or servant songs, I should say, out of the other three, um, every other time, the servant is described as being Israel. For you, my servant, Israel, 
and then God will say what he wants to say to them. And so Jewish scholars and, and theologians for, for um, many, many years, for hundreds and, and thousands of years, um, would say that this section, the suffering servant, is a people. It's the Jewish people, that the Jewish people would experience all of this travesty, all of this affliction, all of this pain, all of this punishment, so that Gentiles, so people who, don't, who are not Jewish, would be able to find out about the light of life, about who God is, that it's the Jewish people that would experience that. Now, some um, would connect this to a past event. So remember I said it's a people that could be a past event. Well, we would, the, the, the um, uh, rabbis and theologians now might look at it as this is referring specifically to the Babylonian exile that occurred uh, around the time that this was written, that the idea would be that it's a people group, the Israelites, the Jewish people, who are in a past event, a specific event that had already happened, the Babylonian exile, that through that, the Gentiles, the nations, the kings of the mouths would be shut up, as, as uh, Isaiah 52 says. And that came to fruition. Like, there's, there's some truth to that because Nebuchadnezzar was someone who proclaimed that Yahweh was the one true God and that he was um, struck silent and dumb by who God was and how he worked in the Israelites' life. So there, there's some truth to that. And you can look at that. It could be one interpretation. Another interpretation is that it is a people, the same people, the Israelites, but it's for kind of entire, like a future event. Like it's all of their history that Jewish people have suffered and have gone through incredibly um, heart-wrenching pain and, and difficulty all the way from the exile, all the way you know, through the um, Holocaust and, and so many different circumstances in which as a people, the, this passage would say that through their suffering, other people could come to know God. So many Jewish people would look at it as the suffering servant is the people of Israel, either as a past event or a um, present and future one. Another way that some Jewish people would look at it and some theologians uh, would look at it as it's not a specific or it's not a people group, but it is a person. In fact, um, in a Midrash, Midrash is uh, the Jewish study, like a verse by verse study, exegetical study of the scriptures, of the Jewish scriptures. Um, there's Midrash that talk about how this Isaiah 53 points specifically not just to a general people, but to the person of the Messiah, the chosen one, the one who was God's chosen person and that it's this servant this messiah this chosen one who's going to do all these things and maybe some people think that it would be a an earthly kingdom that some people would think it's a it's a it's a physical reign the messiah would do and that this section points to how that gets fulfilled but it hasn't happened yet and so that's one way and then um in fact, there's a, a targum or, or an, an, an old uh, manuscript that talks about how um, in verse, I believe it's Isaiah 52, verse 13, that talks about how it's, see my servant, the Messiah. And it even includes in there the Messiah as a way of saying that even from early, early on, there were some Jewish theologians that connected this passage to a person that would fulfill God's purpose. And so we talked about how it could be a people group past and then present future, then it could be a um, person, a specific person, the Messiah for the future. But then there are some Messianic Jews who believe all the Holy Scripture and they're Jewish, but they see that Jesus was that one. He was the one who fulfills this prophecy. That you see this and, and many people look at Isaiah 53 and say that it is the, um, the gospel of the New Testament in the Old Testament. 
So those are some of the different ways the Jewish understanding is, and it helps us to know that because the question then begs itself, are, are we, do Christians, did the early church, did we just pick and choose verses from the Old Testament just to prove the point that we wanted to say? It's like when you, it's called um, proof texting, when it's, you take one thing from one section of the Bible and then you apply it to something that may be unrelated because you want to prove your point. It's like when you're, when you're um, growing up and your parents tell you that you can't do 10 different things, but they said you could do two and then you hold on to those two and you do them and then like, but what about the other things? Well, I just listened to what you told me to do, right? Like it's when we pick and choose, we have selective hearing selective choices and then we say oh i just want to do what i want to do and here's some random thing that proves my point as a preacher one of the dangers is that it can be easy to try to proof text things and that's one of the reasons why james 3 1 talks about how teachers are held to higher standards that's why we need to look at context that's why we need to look at the whole passage and then the whole scripture as a whole rather than just oh i like this verse and so you take one verse that says you know god wants to prosper you and you think okay great that means i'm going to be rich like that's not what that's saying but if we don't know context it'd be easy to think it the section that God says, I have the plan, no, I have the plans for you, plans to give you hope and a future to prosper you, is in the middle of an exile. The, the context is you are in exile and I have plans for you. It has nothing to do with your bank account swelling up, right? But the context is necessary. So then we say, okay, the next question we wrestle with is how did the early church understand this passage? Were they just picking and choosing and they just wanted to do what they wanted to do? And so, oh, they found this one passage that seems pretty good. I'm just going to take a verse and apply it to Jesus. Now, if there were only one instance of this verse you'd, or of this verse being quoted, you, you might want to look into that more. But in fact, there are seven different instances by different authors or by different speakers that refer to this passage specifically as being referring to the Messiah and then even more specifically as being fulfilled by Jesus. And so we're going to unpack those quickly. We're not, we're not going to take a ton of time on each one, but I want to lay out the, the case. I don't want to say the argument. I want to lay out the case to show how Jesus fulfilled it, that this is an Easter egg that's pointing to and foreshadowing something coming in the future and specifically as fulfilled by Christ. And so the first way that we see it being used is it's in reference to the hearing of the message of Jesus. And so this is referred to um, in, uh, in John chapter 12, 37 through 38. It says that even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Which is what Isaiah 53 verse 1. The idea that People are still are hard-hearted and they're not receiving the message. Even after Jesus performs miracles and signs, they say, yeah, but we're still not going to accept the message. Even when we know people who God has worked in incredible ways and, and, and they still see testimonies and life change and they say, yeah, but I'm still not going to receive it. It happens all the time. Romans 10, which is not on the screen or not in your notes, uh, is, a, is another example of it when it talks about how the Jewish people, they did not receive the message of who Christ is. So it paints this picture of one, this verse, this section is being used to say that we need to hear the message of Jesus. We need to be aware that this is a verse that's highlighted in the response of the importance of hearing the message and responding to the message of Christ. Number two, the idea that Jesus healing, he's healing. 
He heals people physically. And so we see this in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. It says, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Now that's from Isaiah 53 verse 4. And the version that you might be reading might sound a little bit different. It says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Whereas in Matthew it says, he he, um, took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Why the discrepancy? Why the change there? Well, it's because Matthew was quoting from what's called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so the, the verbiage that we have when we have in our scripture what's translated, it's from the Hebrew. They were quoting the scripture that was in the Greek. And so there's going to be a few words that are different, but the point remains that the idea of a suffering servant, the servant was going to heal people and to bear pain both physically and, 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 and actual uh, miracles that need to take place because of physical healing, but then also emotionally and spiritually as well. He bore that upon himself. He bore our iniquities, and he, or excuse me, he took up our iniquities and he bore our diseases. That Jesus is a healer. We need to hear his message and we need to see that part of his message is that he heals. The next one that we see is Jesus suffering for our sins. And this comes from 1 Peter 2, verse 24 when this section is quoted, it says, he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sin, we might live for righteousness and then quote, by his wounds, you have been healed. And Peter refers to Isaiah 53 verse five that says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. So now we're starting to see this is not just a one-off verse that is kind of, cherry-picked by some New Testament author in order to prove a point. We're starting to see that John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, a disciple that Jesus loved, uh, one of his inner three, talked about this passage referring to him. We start to see that Matthew, one of his disciples, started to refer to Jesus by looking at Isaiah 53. Then we start to see it Peter, again, another one of his inner circle, his inner three, one of his closest disciples, refers to Isaiah 53. So we're we're laying out the case. This is not a one-off. This is the, the New Testament church. The early church saw Isaiah 53 as something that Jesus specifically came to fulfill. We see in the uh, the second, or the fourth one, excuse me, the idea that Jesus was silent when he suffered. That he was silent and he was slaughtered. And slaughtered is always such a harsh word. Um, and, and I, you know, I use it because the Bible uses it. He, it uses very clear descriptive language. Isaiah 53 verse um, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. What this what this righteous servant, the suffering servant experienced was, was not lighthearted. It was not something that we just only think about once when we take communion once a week. This is not something that is, you know, flipping like, oh yeah, he died for our sins. Like, no, no, no. He was led to the slaughter. And yet when he had a chance to speak up, when he, the son of God could have just spoken a word and angels would have come down to stop this, when he could have spoken a word and Everyone just falls over in John when he gets arrested. He just, they say, we're looking for Jesus. I am. And everyone falls down. I mean, this fully God, Jesus, fully man, Jesus, he had so much power at the word of his mouth. He could have stopped this entire thing. And yet he remained silent. 
He remained silent because he knew the suffering had to take place. Because he knew that people for all time, including you, including me, could not have eternal life with, Jesus, with God without Jesus' sacrifice. He suffered for our sins. He paid the debt that was on our account. He bore the punishment that was meant for us so that we could have peace. We gave him our sin, and he gave us his peace. We gave him our brokenness. He gave us his righteousness. And the section that um, is so beautiful from Acts chapter 8 that refers and quotes this passage, where it's quoted is in Acts chapter 8, when Philip has been, like he's been sent uh, miraculously to an Ethiopian eunuch who's in a chariot reading a scroll. And the Spirit of God just says, hey, just hang out near him and, and listen to what he's reading. And then this is what the response is, or this is what happens in Acts chapter 8 and where this section is quoted. So Acts chapter 8, he reads it, and then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. This is the passage of all the scriptures in all the Old Testament. This is the passage that the Holy Spirit brought Philip to read or to be able to explain to an Ethiopian eunuch in order to understand who Jesus is, which is from Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. And who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? And then verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. See, we're no longer looking at cherry picking. We're looking at the Holy Spirit choosing this passage at this moment that this eunuch was reading on this road in this chariot to send Philip, again, one of the apostles, one of the people that were Jesus' 12 closest here on earth, to then point out how this passage explains who Jesus is. From that very passage, the gospel was ascribed. The Ethiopian eunuch understands, receives Jesus, and gets baptized right then and there. See, the New Testament, every scripture reference paints the picture and builds the case that Jesus is the one who fulfills this prophecy. But there's more. Chapter 5, or excuse me, part 5 is that Jesus, he suffers though he is sinless. And this section comes from 1 Peter 2. For to you have been called, excuse me, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he says he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth, that's from Isaiah 53, verse 9. Again, we are called to suffer when we suffer we're called to suffer in a way that doesn't cause us to fight back. We don't allow our, our ego to get in the way of Christ's testimony in our lives. He could have stopped everything with the word of his mouth, and he didn't. And yet, we often try to fight back and, and regain our pride because our culture doesn't necessarily want to elevate a suffering servant. We want to see conquering heroes. We want to see people who've been promoted and successful. We want to see people that have it all together, we want to see people that speak up for themselves rather than stay silent in order to 
show love to one another. And so we look at all this because as we are navigating what it looks like for us to be able to, when we are accused of things or question things or there's difficulty and people mock us for our faith or they don't understand why we believe or they're, they're struggling and they're, they're just rude or whatever it is, our heart is, hey, I'm just trying to help you, dude. But when they bite us back, we ought not bite them in return. But like Christ gave an example that he took things, he took the punishment in silence, that too is how we need to experience if someone's, you know, um, when someone's going after us because of our faith. That's why Jesus in the Beatitudes talks about how blessed are you when you experience persecution for my sake. He's painting the picture. He's setting it up to recognize that when we struggle, we can struggle with silence. Not because silence means we're complicit to what they're saying, but because we want to show love by not just creating arguments and tension back and forth. And then lastly, Jesus was counted amongst the sinners. And this comes from Luke chapter 22. It's written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you, this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment, that Jesus will be numbered as a transgressor, which comes from Isaiah 53, verse 12. Notice what Jesus says there. What was written about me must be fulfilled. Could there be any question that John, one of Jesus' closest friends, Matthew, one of his disciples, Peter, one of his closest friends, um, uh, who else, I'm sorry, Paul, who was, uh, no, yeah, Sorry, Luke, who was there and he was an historian quoting Jesus. All of them are pointing to the fact that Jesus fulfilled it, that the Holy Spirit used this passage to point to Jesus. So all of these things come together to show us that the, the early church understood that Isaiah 53 was about a person. And now that person had come and that Jesus was fulfilling and had fulfilled all those things. And so that's, again, we're building a case. That's, that's, that's great. That's nice. But then the last question for us to wrestle with today is then how do we follow Jesus' example in this passage? Like we could know a lot of head knowledge and we could say, oh, I learned a lot of things. I took notes or I remembered things. How does that impact how we live the rest of the day Sunday? How does that impact the way we live Monday through Saturday? Because head knowledge does not equate transformation and discipleship. It's part of this process, but if we think that just us knowing more things helps us to become more like Christ, then, then we're, missing, we're missing some really important steps. In fact, as Paul says in Corinthians, that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So knowledge is important, but knowledge without love will cause us to be puffed up. Knowledge with love will build up. And so how do we follow this example? You know, we, we can list out those different things that we see that we know that we could be part of. And so on the screen or when you're watching online, it's, you know, we know that we can be part of hearing the message and sharing the message of Jesus with others. We know that we can help bring healing, whether that's physically praying for healing miraculously, which can happen and does still happen, or whether it's to help emotional or relational healing by coming alongside those who are broken. That we're able to, that we can't suffer the ultimate sacrifice for our own sins. Jesus has to do that. But we recognize that we um, are able to uh, be silent when we're attacked. That when people try to slaughter us and not officially, or, you know, not, not physically, um, though that does happen across the world for people's faith. But 
when that happens, we can stay silent and we can follow the example of Christ to bear that burden. That we can also uh, know that we can't suffer through because we're sinless because we're not, but we are counted among sinners. That Jesus had to become flesh so that the sacrifice would be received. That he was sinless, but that he was counted among the sinners in the same way that in the Old Testament, during the Day of Atonement as found in Leviticus 16, there's a goat who the goat didn't sin, but the sin of the nation was imputed or, or, or was put upon from the laying of hands onto the goat, and then the goat was slaughtered, and then there's another goat that was sent out of the camp to show that the sin is taken as far as the east is from the west to separate our sin from the community. And so we look at this concept that all of Jesus was counted as a sinner, though he knew no sin. And because he was counted as a sinner, the sacrifice would be received. The sacrifice that bore our iniquities, that pierced for our transgressions, that crushed him so that we can have peace. That that word pierced for our transgressions in Isaiah 53 is, points to the hands that were pierced by the nails, the feet that were pierced by the nail, and, and the side, Jesus' side that was pierced with the spear. Those, those types, specifically the crucifixion and hands and feet, was not a mode of, of execution when this was written. It points to a future event. And then we see how he died. He was cut off, but he would then see the light of life again. He would be resurrected and raised anew. So as Matthew uh, 20 paints the picture for us, that instead of arguing over who's the best and try to, not, you know, try to be a conquering hero or be the best of the best, and instead he says, it's not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve as to give his life as a ransom for many. We follow the example of Christ, not to be ones who are served at the table, but who are serving others at the table. And that quote, that verse right at the end, as a ransom for many, is not a direct quotation, but it is an allusion. It alludes, alludes, excuse me, to Isaiah 53, verse 12, where he bore the sin of many and made the intercessions for, intercession for the transgressors. That Jesus is saying, I came to serve. And he alludes to this passage in Isaiah 53 in order to describe why he came. So we, so we live in the light of his example. We step up and recognize that the suffering servant isn't just who Jesus was and Jesus is. I mean, he is. It's also who we are called to be, to serve one another, to serve the world. If someone strikes us on our left cheek, we offer the right cheek. If someone calls us and we, we walk a mile, we walk a second. If someone asks for clothes, we give them not just our tunic, but our cloak, but our tunic as well. Because it shows us that we can be like Christ, who offered everything and laid down everything for us. So when you think about the emotions you felt when you first read that passage, knowing that whether it was anger, whether it was sadness, whether it was confusion, all of that stems from how much Jesus loves you. 
that he was willing to go through all of that, knowing that there will be people throughout all of time who would know that he sacrificed and then completely reject him, that he would, they would bite back. He's like, I'm just trying to help you and to show you the way to live. So may we receive that gift today of eternal life through Christ Jesus. May we recognize that, as 1 Peter 2 says, he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sin we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for the fact that you, um, you love us so much that you experienced that. You sent Jesus to experience all of that pain and heartache that he was despised, he was rejected, he was afflicted, he was crushed, he was pierced, he was silenced, he was slaughtered, he was killed. And yet he did not stay killed. He did not stay dead. He was raised and he bore the transgressions of many. So Lord, we, we thank you, Jesus, for your love for us and all of those emotions we, hear, we read when we were looking at this passage, Lord, may that stir within us the deep acknowledgement of your love for us. That how deep is the love that God you lavish upon us that we may be called children of God. And that is what we are, not from our own goodness, but from Christ's goodness as the Messiah who fulfills what we see in Isaiah 53. So Lord, we love you. We bless you. We honor you. We thank you for sending Jesus to fulfill this passage so that we may be a light to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.